Have you ever wondered what your life would look like if you read the Bible every day? Do you think your perspective on the world might change and you might experience more peace and joy in your life? Well, we believe the answer to that question is yes. Thanks for checking out the V1 Church podcast. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Mike Signorelli. This is the first episode from our series, Beaches. We're taking this whole series to dive deeper into the Bible and to grow together. So here it is, episode one of Beaches. My mom's got one of those Bibles with the covers on it. You know that when people have a Bible that zips up like a gun case, that's scary. You know what I mean? Like you could tell what kind of Christian somebody is by their Bible. Am I right? You ever seen that meme that said if their Bible's falling apart, their life probably isn't? You know what I'm saying? This one's new. Don't judge me. This is new. I know y'all looking at this like, oh man, pastor's got problems. I do about 150 of them in this room right now. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Um, uh, somebody just walked out. Um, but, uh, I give Bibles away. I only have one Bible I won't give away. Um, but I have, have um, yeah, but I got, a, this is a new, new ish one. And I like physical Bibles because there's no notifications on them. Just Holy Spirit notifications, dadjokes.com. Uh, the Holy Spirit is now, um, so that was so bad. That's one of the joys of like getting older and like I'm just looking forward to like going through every season of life and then eventually being that grandpa that just does stuff where like, oh, he's kind of losing his mind, but secretly I'm not, but I'm just messing with everyone. That's the future of V1. You know what I mean? If you're like, what's going down V1 like 2056? It's me acting like I lost my mind just to mess with people. So um, we're going to be going through the book of Galatians, and we're going to spend the next six weeks actually going through this book. And we are going, no, here's the thing. I just, this to me, I've been looking forward to. Typically in the summer, the church really, it, it's, it, it gets down to the, the hardcore followers of Christ. Do I have any of those people here today? All right, all right, all right. So you know, and if you're visiting or you're new, I want to try to create this phenomenon where we do have like a, a community swimming pool. Like, for example, I live in Queens and we like to go to the community pool in Astoria Park. I don't know if you've ever been to that one. See, that person who's laughing, they know that that's it's such a cesspool of sin that you have to take a chemical bath. And people make fun of me. Oh, you go to a public pool. That's disgusting. You know, but I take my daughters and we go. And, and if you close your eyes and just listen, you're in Disney. That's what I tell my daughters. You hear that? That's Disney. Can you can can you feel it? Um, and it's free 99 because we all pay a, a luxury tax for living out here. Right. It's like, this is our Disney Vacation Club. It's a story of Park Pool. So in that pool, though, there's a shallow end and there's a deep end. Now, there are some churches that only have a shallow end. We call those seeker-sensitive churches or whatever we call them. And the problem with only having a shallow end is that eventually people get bored. And, and the bigger problem is that Scripture actually demands that we all go on a journey of maturity in Christ. And so we must go from the, the milk to the what? Oh, yeah. And all the vegans said, amen. From the, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's scripture, y'all. So we're commanded to, to go on this journey. But then the, the problem is you've got these other churches that are only the deep end. And if you only have a deep end, people drown who can't swim. And we've got a lot of churches like that. And can I just say that the church shouldn't age at the same rate as the lead pastor? 
We've got to continually be reaching people. You know what I'm saying? If you're a Christian here and you haven't led anyone to Christ in the last year, you're missing out, man. You know, I, the people who are most critical of the local church are the ones who have the most distance between when they accepted Christ and when they led someone else to Christ. I'm just telling you a fact. It's so hard to be a practitioner and to judge the thing that you're in. It's always easier to judge something you don't do because when you do something, it builds an incredible amount of empathy and you say, man, you know what I'm saying? It's a difference between like, you know, your favorite team plays the sport, but then you actually get on the court and you realize you're five foot two up against dudes who are six, six and they're elbowing you in your face. And you're like, wow, suddenly my team isn't as bad as I thought they were. You know what I'm trying to say? It's like, it's so easy to criticize something that you're not in. But when you actually start leading people to Christ, I mean, we did that baptism in Queens. And I said, guys, I'm just telling you straight up, before I was a lead pastor of V1 Church, I was leading people to Christ and baptizing them with such frequency that a pastor down the street in my hometown would fill up his baptismal every single Friday, gave me a key to his church because he knew there's a high likelihood that Mike Signorelli is going to need a place to baptize somebody that he led to Christ today. And when you read the Bible, and when we give you another shocker, it doesn't say that pastors have to baptize. It says believers baptize. And so if you're waiting, if you're waiting, can I just release you the bulls from the pen that you could be doing so much more, man, it's got to look radical in your life. And the more you become an information junkie, the more you become a critic. And you know what we're going to do this summer? We're going to deepen our understanding. We're going to have the shallow end and the deep end of this community pool we're calling V1. But you know what my prayer is? My prayer is that you would be equal parts hearing and doing. Because when you actually hear more than you do, you get unbalanced. And then, you know, it's like caloric intake. If you take more calories in than you use, you start to get lethargic. And then the lethargy turns into weight gain. Hallelujah. So easy out here. And so what happens in our Christian life, because we, because we can log on and we have some of the best communicators in the world unleashing the best content ever created in humanity, and we can become so much a consumer of the word, but our doing is off and the caloric intake of the word causes us to actually become lethargic instead of giving us energy to do. And I want a church that's dangerous. I want your trip to Walmart to be dangerous. You got that cart and you're just like, oh, Lord, I pray they come down this aisle in the name of Jesus. I see that olive oil that's on aisle two. I will open it before I pay for it. Somebody's getting a demon cast out of them at Walmart. I want a church that's dangerous. You know what I'm saying? You walk into work. They're like, man, when did he learn another language? It's tongues, baby. I'm coming here ready for all of you today. I want a dangerous kind of church, man. What if the most powerful thing that happened happened on Monday, not on Sunday? Oh, I promised I wasn't going to scream. Okay, let's go back to the word. Evan told me I had till 1 p.m. today. I'm taking it. All the visitors are like, I knew it. I knew it was like that. Okay, what if I told you that, if, that I could give you something that if you took it four or more times in a week, it could reduce your loneliness by 30%? Would you take it? What if I told you, for those of you struggling with addiction, more specifically pornography, that I can give you something in a dosage that if you took four more times in a week, it would actually reduce the likelihood of viewing pornography by 60%. Would you take it? 
Well, okay, for those of you who have been in the faith for, the, for a while who kind of have a level of fear with sharing your faith, if I told you I can give you something that if you take it four or more times in a week, you'll be 228% more likely to share your faith, would you take it? Okay, now listen, this, this blew my mind. The Center of Bible Engagement, they surveyed 400,000 believers across the world. That's almost a half a million people. I'd say this is good data. You know what I'm saying? It's like when the sample sets three people, not good data, okay? When it's a Facebook poll, not good data. Half 400,000 people globally is pretty good data. They said people who read the Bible four or more times a week are 59% less likely to view pornography, 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. What if your struggle with loneliness isn't about how much programming V1 can give you through the week, but how much scripture you can give yourself? That'll preach. I'm throwing knives from the stage today. What would happen if you became a daily scripture reader? 400,000 people reported and some incredible things happen in their life. So let me ask you the question. If, if you're willing to read the Bible and willing to go on this journey through the summer with V1 Church, I think your business can grow. I think your marriage can get better. I think your singleness can be a little bit more enjoyable because you can date Team Jesus all the way. I'm dating Jesus, my, right? All the single people are like, I hate when he says that. <laughs> Jesus doesn't smell like aquadigio. You like how I say that like a hillbilly? <laughs> but I really believe that if you can get into the discipline of daily reading scripture, your li- entire life can change. And if you're ever going to pray for me, pray for me through this summer, because if I was ever going to encounter a demonic attack, it would be as the result of trying to get people to actually read the Bible for themselves. I- I'm being serious. There are religious forces that want the leader of that particular church demonic, if you will, forces to be the only one who can tell you what's in this book. Can I just tell you most of the hurt that you've encountered through religion has come through people who've never even read it? Can I just tell you even some of the leaders that have hurt you in church life may have been leaders who never even read all of it or understood what they were reading or contextualized what they were reading? That's what's at stake here. And let me just explain it like this. If this book, what is the Bible? If we can all agree that the Bible is something that we should read every day, can we all agree on that? At least three people. Then what is it? What is the Bible then? Okay, because if you're a skeptic, I used to be one. You might be a pastor one day. The Bible is the account of God's action in the world and his purpose with all creation. The writing of the Bible took place over 16 centuries and is the work of over 40 human authors. It's quite an amazing collection of 66 books. Can can you say them in a row? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Oh, nobody went to my vacation Bible school. You all saw my mom do that prayer transition. You know she forced me to be a Christian, right? You know, in my house, it was like, you're going to serve the Lord and you're going to love him with all your heart. Oh, we got a couple moms like that. She has sympathizers in the audience. My bad. (laughs) I I mean, we learned how to memorize all the books of the Bible. We didn't know how to write, uh, balance our checkbook, but we knew how to recite the books of the Bible. It's just why we don't give in the offering. But anyways, um, (laughs) that was really bad. It was funny first service. It was mean this second service. (laughs) But anyways, we have 66 books of the Bible that were written by human authors. But I want to say this. um, The real author was the Spirit of God. 
even though these humans weren't fully aware of it, they weren't just using their own words. They were actually echoing God's word. And here's how I know that the apostle Peter wrote, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, which is second Peter chapter one, verse 20. So we know that God wanted to speak to us in words that we could understand. And the Bible, therefore, contains those words. So here's the thing. Let me challenge you. If this book is just a book of opinion, and maybe it's good opinion. If this book is just a book of advice, maybe it's good advice. If this book is just what the world calls in the secular circles, the wisdom of the ancients. They say that about the Egyptians as well. Is this equally weighted with hieroglyphics? Here's the thing. I'm challenging you. If this is the word of God, it becomes essential for you to read it and have a relationship with it. If this is just the opinion of man, then you'll treat it like an opinion. And some days you'll listen to it. And some days you won't. If this is the very breath of God on pages, breathe it with me. If this is the bread of life, is there anyone here who wants to eat it with me? Jesus himself said, Yeah, I'm going through this fast and I don't need to change that stone into bread because I'm actually living off of every single word that he says. Is there anyone here who wants to eat that with me today before you get your Chipotle on? Chipotle is my life. (laughs) So anyways, I got to keep it light, man, because Galatians chapter one is going to be so brutal. And Paul is so ticked off that when I go there, I just got to lighten it up a little bit. So let me set up the context for you before we begin reading through the book of Galatians. We're going to do a chapter a week, and throughout the week, we're going to be hitting social media, and we're going to be hitting your email inbox, and we might even mass text you and do all the things that annoy you in hopes that you can become a daily Bible reader. Is that cool? All right, you gave me permission. You just subscribed. Um, And see, the book of Galatians, I want to set up the context for you because we're going to do a deep dive. So here's the thing. So Paul, you have this guy named Paul. This is the earliest epistle that he wrote, meaning this is the very first letter that scholars believe he wrote. Now, Paul used to be named Saul. Saul was a religious zealot who came out of Judaism. Christianity has its roots in Judaism because Jesus was a Jew. Are are you with me? And so even Jesus, we have a biblical account that he did the ceremonies and the rituals and attended the things that were the norm for Jews to attend. And we have that in scripture. So Paul, who was Saul, is this guy who is so uh, such a religious zealot that he is all in on all the laws and the rituals of the Torah, which means that the way that he lived his life would have looked absolutely bizarre to all of us. It would have looked crazy, but let me contextualize it to the 21st century. I just got back from Israel and I was in Israel like months ago. And here's some things that I encountered. So Friday night, I realized that that first Friday night I was there, I realized that I actually didn't have any contact solution. And that's like a horrible, horrible realization if you're a contact wearer. And so I went to the front desk of the hotel I was at in Jerusalem And I asked the guy, I said, where can I go to purchase contact solution? And he laughed at me. And he said, it's Sabbath right now. There is nowhere to buy contact solution. Why didn't you think about that before the Sabbath? And I was like, I don't know, bro. I'm a hillbilly from Indiana. I have no idea why I'm even in Israel right now. (laughs) It's literally how it went down because I get mad real easy sometimes. It's the Italian in me. 
It's at war with the spirit. It's at war. The Holy Spirit's like, don't slap him. And the Italian genes are like, slap him hard. You know what I'm saying? Am I the only one? You know, Paul said he has, the, or Saul, or Paul said he has this thorn in his side. And for me, it's, it's the backhand. It's the thorn. It's like, but so I had this situation where it's the Sabbath. And this guy who was also not a Jew, he was a Gentile was working because everyone else doesn't work in Israel. And this is happening. And so I had to wait. Then the next morning I woke up to go get contact solution. And guess what? There wasn't anywhere to buy until sundown because for them, the Sabbath is this, this law. I mean, it's something you must abide by. Then the next week I was actually uh, in the West Bank at, a, at another Jewish man's house. And we were also doing Shabbat and we were celebrating on the Sabbath. And I went to go use the restroom and he said, hey, don't turn the light off when you're done. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Why, why can't I turn the light? Because it's a learning experience. He said, because we won't be able to turn it back on until tomorrow night. Because according to their laws and customs, it's work to turn lights on and off. It's work. Matter of fact, I, I came out of that experience, went back to the hotel, and went to go use the elevator. I'm pressing the button. And it's not working. I go back to the guy. I'm like, yo, why is the elevator not working? And he laughs at me again. He's like, hey, you're that hillbilly guy from Indiana. I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> He goes, it's Sabbath, it's work to press the button, and it's actually automated to go up and down on every single floor, and you have to walk in when it comes and wait for it to go to your floor. That's 2019 Judaism in Israel. Now, not everyone lives that way, but that's the manifestation of the law in, 20, in the 21st century. They are, their entire lives are relegated to this Torah law that says, it's the Sabbath. You shouldn't do any work. And, and, and it's just this crazy reality that they live in. So Paul, his life as a Jew would have made no sense to any one of us. It would have been so extreme. Just the everyday living would have been so extreme that it would have been hard for many of us to even contextualize it. So then all of a sudden he's on this road to Damascus. He is a Christian killer because the people, they, these people are actually going around saying, you don't have to do any of those laws and those rules anymore because the greatest law is love each other. And then Christ died on the cross, was resurrected three days later, and then empowered us to love each other with this supernatural love, which is essentially the fulfillment of all these other laws. And you know what that makes Saul do, who's going to be Paul? Go crazy. He's like, I got to kill all these people who think that because they are eroding our very way of existence. They're eroding all the richness of these traditions and, these, and the richness of this history and the way that we live that preserved us and caused the Jewish people to excel past other people through the eras. And so if we let people think that it's okay to dismiss all this, the future doesn't look good for us. And so, I've, so I can justify killing those people. That's, that's where he's at. Then all of a sudden on the road to Damascus, the person that he's persecuting him, persecuting Jesus himself, reveals himself to him and says, yo, it's the guy that you keep talking about. Isn't it just like God to divinely disrupt your life? Don't you love a divine disruption? There's no such thing as good churches. And then God's like, well, I got a guy coming from Indiana who's going to start V1 Church. You can shut up now. It's not going to be perfect, but you aren't either. I'll see you there Sunday at 1010. Isn't it just like God to divinely disrupt your life? There's no good men out there. And then Dean Anderson comes in. Hey, Sandra, I would love to father your children. You know what I'm saying? Isn't it like God to just respond with the very thing that you're persecuting? All Christians are like that. And you're like, well, you haven't met those V1 people yet. 
So this is what happens to Saul who becomes Paul. And now he's going on this journey and he understands, he gets this revelation that it's Christ and Christ alone. Somebody say Christ alone. Okay. Then he hears that there is this group of people that are infiltrating some churches that he launched. So in the book of Acts, you can, you can read that he went to this region, which is now known as like modern day Turkey. And he actually launches multiple churches. Four of them are mentioned in the book of Acts and uh, they're in modern day Turkey. And all of a sudden he finds out that there are these, they're called by scholars, Judaizers, but essentially Jewish people infiltrate these, these Gentile churches and they begin to say, Hey, you remember how Jesus was a Jew? Well, Jesus was Jews. So there's Jewish traditions that you guys don't know that you need to actually incorporate into what you're doing to legitimize the fact that you're a true Christ follower. So in other words, it's not enough just to have the cross and the resurrection. It's not enough to believe by faith and receive what he did for you. You've got to do that, but then you have to also circumcise yourself. Is there anyone here who's joining that church today? If that was the requirement. So it's, let me put it another way. It's not enough that Christ spilled his blood. You got to spill yours too. Just to give you a real crude visual. Somebody said, thank you. You're welcome. So they're basically saying it's not just enough to have Christ. It's Christ plus works. It's Christ plus you checking all these things off. It's Christ plus works. And let me just tell you this before we jump in and read the scripture. For as easy as it is to criticize these Judaizers, these people who infiltrated the early church and to say, man, that's so bizarre that they would. Let me just tell you this. Many of you in this room have the same spirit they did because you don't truly believe that it's Christ alone. It's Christ plus all this to-do list. It's Christ plus all your striving. It's Christ plus being a good boy, being a good girl. It's, it's, it's just, it's Christ plus the trinkets and, and it's Christ plus all the objects. I mean, there is such, it's in you. And it's something that I have to confront today because God wants to sort of peel all that back. So let me read Galatians chapter one. Do you feel like you have a better idea of what's happening in scripture now before we read it? Now, I'm just going to warn you, Paul's ticked off. He says like this. This is verse one. You can follow on the screen or you can read your big, big Bible. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and um, God and father to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, right there, just off the bat, Paul is establishing who he is and where he got his title from. He's saying, I am Paul and I've been appointed and anointed by somebody that's not a human. It's by Christ himself. I'm an apostle. He's already getting kind of confrontational about it. And you know what happened is he established these churches and yet he heard that there's, there's this gossip happening. And they're saying, hey, I know Paul came and said it was Christ alone, but guess what? It's not quite like that. He didn't have a full revelation. There's a little bit more. He didn't really understand. See, isn't it funny that the very first 
thing that attacked the church wasn't something from the outside. It was something from the inside. The very first attack that the church encountered was an attack of leadership. Isn't that just the same thing that's happening today? See, for those of you who are trying to build businesses or build organizations, people on the outside don't have enough power to bring it down. It's always from the inside that it's eroded. It's always attacking the identity of the leader and the figurehead. That's the beginning of how you can dismantle an organization. And the very first attack that the church encountered is the one that we're struggling with in 2019. It's the attack of the leaders and it's an attack of how we do things. Isn't that crazy? We're still, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. As I was thinking about preparing this message, I thought to myself, I'm sort of embarrassed. Like if I was able to sit down with Paul and I said, hey, Paul, remember how they attacked you and your title and what you said? That's still sort of happening today. It's, remember all those Judaizers who showed up and they were the ones saying, we know how to do ministry better. Those people are still infiltrating the church globally. And it's kind of embarrassing to think about the fact that we still haven't won this victory and this is the first epistle that was ever written. Can we make just an agreement here today that we're going to be the kind of church that goes through the book of Galatians and we kill a spirit of religion and we kill a spirit of criticism? I'm telling you, God will only release the, the, the measure of people to this place that he can trust our character to withstand. And we have to have the kind of character as a church that can withstand this and, and say, we're not going to take the bait of criticism. And we're not going to take the bait of religions and traditions of man. And there's something the Lord is preparing us for as a local body. And it starts with this thing. And Paul literally has to reinstall his own authority and say, yo, this title I have, it was given by God. And if you understood kings and kingdoms and spiritual authority, you would know you're getting into a dangerous place because there's false teachers that have infiltrated and they're telling you that there's another gospel. Can I keep reading? Before we continue reading, let me just tell you, jealousy will have you gossiping about people you should be learning from. And they were gossiping about Paul. They were saying, Paul didn't even know what he's talking about. And he said, let me, let me just back up. And I love the way he, he does it. He establishes who he is. And then all of a sudden he says, but grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, can we all agree that we're all on the same page about Jesus before I knife you right now in scripture? <laughs> I just love Paul. Because, you know, Paul was a doer. Even when he was doing the wrong thing. You can find your destiny in the seasons of your life when you didn't serve Christ. You can lead people in a way that reveals your true destiny even before you get a revelation of Jesus. I mean, Paul, even when he was killing Christians, it doesn't make it right. Don't hear me I, I, the wrong way. I'm just saying it sort of revealed that Paul was a doer. He wasn't a talker, which I think made this so disgusting when he heard that there's a whole bunch of people talking. When he was like, man, I planted that church. I got bit by snakes. I got shipwrecked. I, I got imprisoned to plant that church. And you're just walking and telling, oh, you think you know? Let me just tell you, this is what God's saying. And I think there's, a, if you have a true apostolic call in your life, there's an intense desire for the purity of the gospel. And I'm contending for the purity of the gospel in this region. And so here's what I'm talking about. Let me keep reading. I wish we can go all day. I love doing Bible studies. Anyone else? It says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That scripture in and of itself is saying, when you believe a false gospel, in order to believe it, you have to turn from him who called you to it. In other words, you're not just abandoning a teaching, you're abandoning the teacher, Jesus. And he says, not that there is another one. Don't you love his, his personality? 
Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let them be accursed. Come on, Paul, back down, bro. People ain't going to come back to church if you're putting curses on them. Haven't you even heard that song, The Reckless of a God? Where's that? Paul, come on, they're never going to ask you to preach the conference if you keep talking like this, Paul. Look, just because it's not popular in 2019 doesn't mean that it's not eternal in this book. And he was saying, hey, if they preach another gospel, let them be accursed. And you know, he wasn't pronouncing a curse on them. What he was saying is if they cause you to go a different direction than the curse breaker, the only repercussion can be you're living still under a curse. And that's what he was saying. And then he says it again because he's rowdy. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let them be accursed. In other words, he's saying, let them suffer the consequences of living a life without the curse breaker. For I am now seeking, or, and I love this, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, question mark, or am I trying to please man? If I were tr still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Aren't you grateful for being free from serving man, from being a man, for trying to please people and please them and, and trying to live according to what they think you should? You know what I love about the purity of the gospel that's manifested itself at V1 Church is there are people sitting in this seat that have had to forsake their entire family to get here. You know, people pleasing it's something that will not just stop you from fulfilling your destiny, but it will stop you from receiving the, the pure gospel. I'm telling you. It's funny because in the same service, you'll have somebody who says, man, I don't know about this. I don't think I like that church. And somebody sitting next to them 18 inches away is bawling their eyes out saying, I can see you, Jesus. I can see who you really are, Father. It's real. We've baptized people who were Jews and, and, and came into the fulfillment of the law. We've baptized people who came from multi-generational Hinduism. We baptize people who have come from the other religions and traditions of men. And there are things that are breaking out all around us. And yet there are those who still have this spirit that Paul was addressing. And it's a spirit. It's not the agenda of a church. It's not the strategi strategies that they use to reach people. It's literally the conditions of their heart that will produce that critique. And Paul's addressing it head on. Let me, let me keep reading. He says, and I think that this is so important, read verse 15. But when he who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Will you stop consulting with people who are leading you down the wrong path? He said, I didn't consult anyone. I knew that I had a moment where Christ was revealed to me. Let me tell you my story. I fell in love with scripture at 13 years old. See, my mom, who forced me to be a Christian as a kid, she gave me a book of the Bible that was all pictures. And then I graduated that to she, when I got a little bit older, she gave me a Bible that had some pictures and then some words. Some of you are like, where can I find that on Amazon? And then after that, she graduated me around the age of 13 to a Bible with only words. 
And I remember like in my family, my mom and my brothers and sisters, they were hardcore charismatic Pentecostal types and they would be praying together in the living room and shouting and rolling on the floor and acting all crazy. And there was something in my physical body that was like repulsed by it. Like whenever they would start doing all their Christian stuff, even as a kid, even as a preteen and a teenager, I'd be like, ugh, I hate when they do that. I, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been in a church service and you're watching other people experience freedom and you're like, ugh, they really think that's trail? Can, can we just be real? Come on now. There's sometimes where your flesh, your physical being is just opposed to what the spirit's doing. But you know, I had this experience where I said, well, I'm just going to read the Bible for myself. And so at 13 years old, I, I would lock myself in my bedroom and didn't want anything to do with the spiritual stuff that was happening in my home, but I was secretly falling in love with scripture. So I made this commitment at 13. I'm going to read the Bible all the way through from cover to cover. So I did it. And then I did it again. And then I did it again in another translation. And by the time I was 15 years old, I was coming to the end, probably the second or third time to, I was coming towards the end. I was in the book of Acts. And I never forget that I was in the book of Acts and I was reading about this crazy, just, I was always so intrigued with like how intense it was when the Holy Spirit, now it was like God's spirit was no longer the Shekinah glory, right? It was no longer this, this, this Ark of the Covenant. It was no longer behind all these veils in the temple that only one man that you would tie a rope around him and send him in and he would offer up incense. And then if he had sin in his life, he would die and they'd have to pull that rope to bring him out. It was no longer any of that, but it was all of a sudden that same potency, but it now was dwelling. It was burning inside of these Christians, and I remember being so inspired by that. And I was, I, I laid down in my bed and I remember I closed my Bible. I laid down in my bed and I said, I said, I made the worst mistake of my entire life. For real. I consider this one of the worst decisions I ever made in my life. I said, God, if you want me to have that, if it's real, I want it. And when I said that, dude, I cannot... I felt, it was like, whew, this power just started surging through me. I just started becoming consumed with this thing. I couldn't even explain it. was like, oh my God, I'm becoming like my mom. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, what is this? And all I said was, God, if this is real and you want me to want it, if you want me to have it, I, I, but see, as I've grown in my maturity, I realized it was actually the Holy Spirit that even allowed me to have that desire. He was working on me. He was opening my heart. If you've been in services and you've been like, what's all these people? I'm just telling you, maybe the Holy Spirit is working on you. Maybe he's doing something in your heart. And as I begin to go through the scriptures and I begin to become more passionate, you know, it was funny, two weeks after that experience, I just told you at 15 years old. And I, no, listen, I'm, I'm, ner I'm nervous. I'm awkward. Anyone who's ever met me is like, he is kind of awkward. I'm just being real. My, the other day I was talking to somebody and my daughter, Bella, who's 12, was in a meeting with me and I left and she said, dad, dad, why do you sweat so much when you talk to people? And I told her, I said, my whole life I've been scared of people. My whole life I've been intimidated. I've been introverted and it never went away. I, even after the Holy Spirit, even after speaking on stages, even after everything I do, it's just, I do it afraid, Bella. That's daddy's secret. Daddy's secret is that the body that you see will die, but there's a spirit that's my true identity that Jesus promised will live forever. 
and I bow to the will of the Holy Spirit and my spirit, I allow my spirit to violate my body in a way that says, I don't care how intimidated you are. This is the will of the father. And I said, my secret is I don't let the temporary part of me get in the way of the eternal part of me. That's my secret. And I, and I, and I think that I go back in my story, 15 years old, accepting Christ for myself for the first time, getting enraptured by the Holy Spirit. Two weeks later, that's when this, I get out of vacation Bible school. My mom was leading that as well. She's like a maniac. And I come out of that, and this woman who's walking down the street, her face turns ghost white, and she says, Ay, Dios mío, I had a dream that you preached my church, and revival broke out with the teenagers. And I said, you're crazy, lady. I'm not a preacher. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, you are. Yes, you are. And here's why I'm saying that for somebody who's listening right now. There is a call on your life. There's a destiny on your life that's deeper than your emotions. It's deeper than your emotions. Because see, God didn't call you to live a life led by your emotions. He called you to, be, to live a life that's led by his spirit and his voice. And it becomes a necessity for you to listen, to hear him, and then obey. And what Paul came to establish in, the, in this region called Galatia, which is now modern-day Turkey, is it's Christ and Christ alone. It's not checking off a to-do list. It's not going through religious ceremonies. You know, when I was growing up, there was this movement in Pentecostalism that you had to have a skirt and you couldn't wear pants and it had to be a certain length. Does anyone remember that movement? I remember, and you, and, and you couldn't wear makeup. Praise God, I rebuke that. Makeup can be a good thing. I'm just saying. But I've, we have always tried to co-opt the gospel and we, because here's what it is. When you're wounded, good news is never really true. Good news is like too good to be true. It's like, it's like this weird phenomenon when you're wounded. See the word gospel, when you break it down, you know what it just means? Good news. What's good news about the fact that you can't wear pants? What's good news about the fact that women can't preach? That's a lie from the pit of hell. What's good news about the fact that you have to go to church seven days a week to be a, a Christian? What's good news about the fact that you've got to look a certain way and talk a certain way? What's good news about that? Nothing. It's us not believing that the cross is enough. It's us not believing that Christ is enough and always trying to complicate it. And when you go back, this is what Paul was saying. He was saying, you've received a different gospel that says it's not enough to receive Christ and receive the cross. You've got to do all those other things. And I believe it just came from these Jews that were saying, how could the grace of God be that good? That's what they were saying. How could it be that good? And you know, what's funny because I find that Christians go on a journey literally to recompense their own sin while claiming that they believe Christ already did. People trying to, you hear these phrases, well, I'm just making up for lost time. If you believe that the cross is, is enough, you'll believe that the God of time can accelerate you through his grace and you're not even gonna suffer the repercussions of the thing that you were in because the way that God operates is not the way that we operate. But people are like, oh, I guess my life is the way I, it is because of the faults and failures of my past. Not if you've accepted the cross of Jesus Christ, it's not because he will show you how scandalous his grace really is.
And it's funny because it's just like we have these Christians nowadays that just don't have the fulfillment of that. There's such a spirit of religion that functions side by side with the Spirit of God. And it's time for Him to take the seat of the affections of your heart. As we come to a close with Galatians chapter 1, you know, I was talking to my wife about this series and I said, here's the linchpin for chapter one. It's so weird, man. I had, I had church leaders from across the nation call me all within the last week and every single one of them say the same thing independent of each other. They said, you know, Mike, I'm going through this. I just don't feel like I'm enough. I just don't feel like I'm worthy. And I thought to myself, what condition is the church in America in when I've got multiple leaders in a week not understanding their worthiness through the cross? I mean, what condition are we in? And you know what? It's real easy to judge, to say, man, these Jews that don't use the elevator on Sabbath and leave lights on because they can't turn off, that's weird. You know what I think is weird? You thinking you're less worthy because you didn't clean the house that day and your kids watch Netflix an hour too long. You know what I think is crazy? You not understanding how much Jesus loves you. And because you didn't cross off your arbitrary Christian list, you're not worthy today that of his love today. Because I'm here to give you a revelation. He loves you as you are right now in this moment, not as you ought to be, because you will never be as you ought to be. Not until you get on the other side of this body. And what Paul was contending for was saying, please don't teach these new believers that they that the option to add more is even on the table. It's Christ and Christ alone. When I have him, I have enough. I have everything. I have everything. I have everything when I have Jesus. I have everything when I have him. I have everything. And that's why Paul said, I can be content in all situations. I can be hard pressed on every side. You know why? Because when you put the squeeze down on a true believer, anger and wrath and malice and bitterness don't come out. You know what comes out? Love, joy, peace, long suffering. When you put the crunch down on them. The other day in my neighborhood, it was actually just yesterday, I came up to a stop sign and I was with this woman. And you know when you kind of do that thing where you go to walk and the car goes to go and they're thinking, do I run them over or not run them over? You know that thing? Well, all of a sudden it was like he jumped out in the car and then she jumped out and she decided to walk anyways with her dog. And the guy got so enraged in that moment, he started cussing her out. And then she turned around and started cussing him out. And then the car behind him started cussing both of them out. And I'm just saying, oh, Jesus, I don't know if I'm going to do a funeral right now or uh, what's going to happen. But my point is the world that you live in is so deranged, so stressed out all the time so full of fear, so certain of their own impending doom. I mean, they literally, I, they stand in the, at the wedding ceremony, looking that person in the eye, waiting for them to turn their back on them and forsake them. They give birth to their children, waiting for the bills to come in and them to be done in financially. I mean, this is the condition of the world that we live in today. All around you is chaos. Nobody knows what's next. You tune into the local news. You read the newspaper. I mean, it's just everything is just pumping us full of fear all day and night. 
And through our own woundedness, even when we bring all of that into our expression of faith, we produce this Christianity, this fear-based Christianity that says, I am never going to be enough. I'm never going to be worthy. And I just want to echo the Apostle Paul by pushing it all off the table and saying, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Let the American dream die and let God's dream come to life in this moment. Let their value system die and let the values of this book begin to come to life in your spirit. Let their criticism and their words and what they think and feel, let it fall to the ground, but let the praises of God's people arise. Let the worship be like a sweet-smelling fragrance of aroma, that the purity of the gospel is being birthed in this region, in this time and space right now. Is there anyone here who wants that? Is there anyone here who wants that? And then anything else that he adds onto that is on a foundation of Christ alone. And you'll be walking through your mansion like this. You see all this? It don't matter to me. It doesn't validate me. You see my bank account? That doesn't validate me because I had Jesus when I had nothing and I have Jesus when I have something. But the only value I have is the value for having him. And I put all my trust, everything I have in him. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask you, church, V1 Church, V1 Church. I know people watch us online. I know people go to other churches and listen to our podcast and flirt with us. V1 doesn't want to be your side chick. You know what I'm saying? V1 wants to marry this thing, okay? Put some roots down. You flourish where your roots go deep. When you're in a dry season, you better have deep roots somewhere, amen? I'm talking to V1 Church right now. Will you read the entire book of Galatians with me in the next six weeks? Will you read the Bible every day with me for the next six weeks? This is crazy. I'm not talking about will you binge consume other preachers' content because it sounds eloquent. I'm saying will you read scripture for yourself? Will you make a promise not to trust me that everything I'm saying is all you need? Will you read it for yourself? Will you read it for yourself? Because I don't know what would happen if the church started reading the Bible for themselves. But I bet you it would be dangerous. I bet you Walmart would never be the same. I bet you Target would be real dangerous. I bet you your workplace would be dangerous. I bet you your house would be dangerous if you started reading it for yourself and declaring it over your life and speaking it. I bet you the devil would jump back if you start yelling scripture at him instead of yelling your opinion at him. I bet you some things would change. Christian maturity. That's where we're going. Thanks so much for listening to the V1 Church Podcast. You made it all the way to the very end of this message, and we believe that your life was changed through the power of Jesus. So do us a favor. Don't keep this message to yourself. Share it with a friend or a family member that you know needs to hear this, and we will see you next week.